actually we've made it. I've I've got a, I've got an email. If proof, if proof be needed, that this is a successful podcast. Uh, I've got it was from Twitter saying you've got some picture of fire tweets. Adam, you you might have got one of these. I don't know. I presume you have. It says, uh, "Hi, my Twitter handle." In fairness, it's my personal Twitter handle, so maybe it hasn't got anything to do with the podcast. But I'll be, <laughs> your tweets have been getting a lot of attention. Pr- promote them to get even more. Look at that. I haven't tweeted in months. This, <laughs> it's, it's from Twitter. It's from info at twitter dot com. Mm. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd say that I thought, mm, okay, right. Uh, in fairness, it is trying to sell me Twitter for analytics. Does it what? tell you which tweets are getting attention? No, it doesn't tell me anything. There's just a promote my tweets button, which would, I guess, take me to some sort of payment page. Yeah. Well, you think they'd at least let you trial it and like have a look at what you're going to be paying for. Yeah, trial it, see that they were lying and no one's mm-hmm. looked at my tweets. I can't imagine why I'd be getting a load of hits on my tweets. I don't know. Is there a free service? I don't. I know the mic doesn't pick you up. Mm-hmm. Is there some sort of somewhere I can go, like to see how many people have looked at my tweets in general? Is there a website? Analytics.twitter. Okay, and is that free? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'll have a look. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Anyway, welcome to episode forty of the Unraveling Technology podcast. It's me, Joe Tonks, joined as ever by David Johnson. Hello. And today we're joined by our very own Connor Bridgeland-Knowles. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for joining us here today. How are you enjoying the new Birchinal Howden polo shirt? It's great. It's great. It's a lot quicker for ironing. Is as in, like, I picked it up off my floor drobe this morning where I'd laid it flat, and it was perfectly good. Floor drobe, did <laughs> <Yeah>. you say? <laughs> After I, I collected them last night, uh, on Friday night, I just got home and like, laid them flat. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't fall <laughs> the put them away, but I was just like, oh, that's all right, I'll, I'll use these. Just to let like everyone yeah. see and enjoy. Yeah. It's, where, it's like right next to where I put my helmet as well. So I've got like my floor drobe and like flat sort of active clothes, which would be like mm. trousers, the t-shirt or, well, shirts kind of like chuck in the wash every day. But anyway, I digress usually. The pillows mm. are great. It's exciting to have a biker as one of the team now. You sort of round out the... Round out the crew. And the advantage of not using up another one of the car parking spaces in that yeah, very, it is good very to full car park. Not have to worry. You can always squeeze out. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You... We had there was something going on at the brewery next door yesterday. Oh, yeah. And it was multiple point turns to get out of the car park. Was it? And I wasn't even properly blocked in by anybody. Right. Wow. Must be. You must improve your driving having to park in this car park. Your, yeah. your spatial awareness becomes very good. I, I hate uh, reverse parking. Yeah, but on a so, bike. Oh, yeah, well, on, a bike. On, on a bike, it's what? fine. Oh, you know, yeah. Just pick it up and chuck it where you want it. But To ask a stupid a question, there's no reverse on a bike, is there? Not on any bike I've seen. Okay. You've got your legs. You can go backwards. Oh, yeah, it just seems, you know. I'd expect to have a bicycle, but not a bike. Yeah. You can also, though, like put the side stand down and just like put your foot on it and swing it around and rotate it. So mm. you have to take us for a ride sometime. Yeah, I've offered Sean because, like, at the moment the front's smashed in, okay. so I keep chasing the garage to like order the parts for it, but why the front the, is still smashed in. Why is the front smashed in? Because I uh, I hit a curb and uh, went flying. Oh, and uh, yeah, the front's been smashed in for about two months. Okay, it's held together with duct tape at the moment. I've had, a, I've had about yeah. ten, 10 journeys home in pitch black. 
Last night, for example, on record, you can borrow the high vis in the camera. Yeah, I borrowed the high vis a couple of times, thinking like, "Oh, this will make up for the lack of light." But you can just tape your brand new iPhone seven to the front of your bike and put the. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be what, like equivalent to a thousand candles, right? I don't know. Is that what a lumen is? Mm, is a lumen like a candle's that, worth of light? Once upon a time, I did a physics. Uh, or part of a physics degree and i used to know things like that because we did labs on it but i've replaced it all with technology the only thing oh, okay. is well. you get candles and you get candles don't you so <laughs> you do get candles and candles <laughs> how do you define the the specific candles light yeah true i mean well i got a candle for our, our housewarming that crackles it's great. yeah distracting when you're watching telly like i can't hear telly at the best of times but you got this little candle crackling away as well yeah it's a good candle though it is good apart from you blow blow the candle out because it's a woodwick you get quite a lot of smoke coming off it before it settles down so you just kind of have to stand over it and waft it so the alarms don't go off but anyway moving on uh just going back to lumens for a second i think they're coming back in a big way because the new sort of range of tvs now 4k tvs they're looking at built-in hdr Mm. we were talking about this upstairs like the new playstation it's all about HDR, which is kind of a hard thing to explain uh, without seeing it. It's a hard thing to demo as well without seeing it. Yeah, so they had a big conference, a big Sony conference recently where they showed off that this is the HDR output of the PlayStation, but if you were to look at it over a stream, you wouldn't really be able to tell what the deal is. Yeah, so they're, they're demonstrating high dynamic range video and 4K resolution video, but they're streaming the conference over the internet at your 1080p mm. tablet that doesn't have HDR support. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it's very hard to tell exactly what it is, but it's meant to be good. So I yeah. don't think I'll bother. Like, I don't see the HD thing. Maybe it's because my eyesight is quite poor, but mm. I just like can't really tell the difference and don't really care. Have you not seen a 4K TV? I definitely can't tell the difference between 4K and HD. Mm. Since I can't, I can barely tell if something's HD or not. So. I do Definitely wonder. Won't be splashing out the extra cost for yeah. better than HD. I wonder where the limit is. Like, at what point is it? You know, like the iPhones. Like there was that f- a picture going round on the internet saying, "Oh, iPhone Seven. Well, here's what the Samsung or Nexus blah blah did a couple of years ago." And one of the things was m- more pixels on the screen. Mm. But I mean that. I, I I struggle to see the pixels on this. So mm. where's the the, the event horizon kind of is it would it I be i think 8K? we're pretty close now really it's it's gonna all be to do with how big the tv is isn't it because if you've got a hd tv and then an equivalent size 4k tv and you're sitting across the room from it and you know it's like i don't know a 42 inch or whatever is standard mm. you probably can't really tell but if you've got something the size of your wall if it's in HD or if it's in 4K, you are going to notice the difference. Yes. Maybe I just need to sit closer. A curved telly's still a thing. Yeah. I feel like I'm seeing a lot less of them. Like I, think maybe the, that. I think the idea with them was that you'd have a big panel, so you have a your huge TV, mm. but if you did have a huge TV, then sort of the edges of, the, of that TV would start being at more of an angle from you and therefore they wouldn't be as bright or the colors would get washed out so they curve the panel so that everything is 
equidistant from you and so all the colors are the same and so on blah 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 except that only really works if it's you or like you and a person sat next to you watching it if you're trying to have one in the corner of your room for a bunch of your friends to watch then i don't think curved tvs really work have you seen the curved screen laptop uh no i haven't World sounds first, like a nightmare recently. to close well i think the keyboard is also sort of curved with the same oh, okay right yeah for the ergonomic mm. keyboardiness i think jono is the only person in the company that uses one of those ergonomic keyboards and it's i'm nightmare sure he to just use. does it because he hates himself i can't see why <laughs> anyone would use one of those maybe it's an adjustment thing mm. Mm. okay right well let's have a look at some stories uh first one i've picked up um having a look online was this google google allo uh, app releasing uh which is uh, as we said a bit earlier, it's a bit of a damp squib because although it was officially released yesterday, September 21st, I don't think any of us have it. <laughs> we don't have access to it. It's not released in our territories yet. Yeah. Um, unless you managed to get it. I, I no. don't want it. I may have to get it. Like I don't know about have to, but like Google are pretty big, aren't they? they seem to have their fingers all over the place. Is, is everyone going to be using it? I don't I know. I think there's a, a strong yeah. chance that's a yes. It's not the first time they've launched a mm. messaging app yeah. and everybody's gone, mm. nah. Yeah. And I mean, then they've closed it. The big kind of martyr at this point is probably Google Wave. Yeah. Which was more of an email client, wasn't it? It was, well, yeah, it was kind of a replacement for email. It was, the idea was that you'd kind of have this inline conversation. You could go back and like comment on earlier things and it's kind of a, mix between sort of email and instant messaging and a thread on you can do that with email though can't you obviously you can go into like the thread earlier and you could highlight something and yeah but this this was was more of a real time wasn't it Mm -hmm. yeah real time collaboration and then it kind of looked hooked into google docs and stuff like that yeah, it, I, there were a bunch of videos that came out and we watched them all in the office several years ago now this came out mm, um, yeah. and all got like kind of excited and thought, yeah, this is pretty cool. And then it completely failed to take off and they shut it down a year or two back. Which you guys is... ever see Hangouts, Google Hangouts? Well, <clears throat> yeah, that's one of the things. I mean, Hangouts, as I understand it, having never used it before, but reading into it, looks like pretty much what Google Allo is. It's a um, it's a, some sort of chat app. Maybe it ties into Google Plus. So I think, sure. yeah, it, it ties into Google Plus and probably the closest thing to compare it to is Skype. Mm. But it will let you do video calls between large numbers of people. So okay. whereas Skype, I think video calls, I may be wrong on this, they may have introduced this, but I don't think it was a feature when Google Hangouts came out. Um yeah, whereas Skype is kind of one-to-one on video calls, um, you can do, yeah, you can just have like a big kind of chat room essentially that you spawn and everybody goes in and talks and you can all do it through the web just by logging into your Google account so you don't need to download any software and you can run it on your phone or your in, okay. on your tablet and right. all over. So a lot um, of, I've, I've heard good things about it. People like it, but I think a lot of people are just kind of, they have their solutions already. They use Skype or they use. Uh, this is the thing, yeah. I Facebook think it's worth, worth having a quick overview of what Google Allo is. So it is another chat app, essentially. It's just for mobile, so for Android and iOS. There's no desktop app yet, which I think in this day and age is probably going to be part of the problem. Um, 
but uh, and you can do all the things you'd expect to do so you can go and you can you can draw draw pictures and uh, quite a lot of stuff that uh, the new iMessage also introduces that I'm sure Android has had for years uh, um, maybe not maybe this is the one that is maybe, following on this maybe time maybe this is the one yeah um, but uh, one of the things that it flaunts is this AI component so the idea that to save you having to you know, stop and type a message somewhere that you can just come up with quick replies to things, which again is kind of a function that's already on phone chat apps, but it, it learns. It learns from your response and your way of replying. So say someone posts a picture of a dog and you, you, you're you given the option of saying, ah, or a picture of a heart. And it'll learn from Ooh, that. Are nice you more, dog. <laughs> yeah, what, 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 what box do you fit in? Are you an emoji person? Are you a... Cold-hearted, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, full stop. <laughs> this is a dog. There's, um, so I think I think the other idea is that it will. You can type your own responses, and then it will slowly learn mm. which kind of things, the kind of things that you say, and therefore it will give you suggestions of replies, and those suggestions will become more tailored to you the more it learns about you. Yeah. And that's all helped by the Google Assistant, yeah, which is in beta with this with this app. And that's the most interesting part of this, I think. Yeah. So it's by it's kind of like when you signed up for MySpace, and you've already had someone, you already had a friend there. Um, I forgot his name, Tom. Tom. Tom, your one friend on MySpace. It's kind of a similar thing when you go into Google Allo, you already have a friend on there, and it's Google Assistant, and it's an AI that you can add into conversations, but also you can just converse with. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you can ask it questions like, what's the weather going to be like today? Where's the nearest restaurants? And it'll tell you all this. But then also if you're in a conversation with someone else on Google Allo, you can say to it, hey, uh, what do you at, think? at Google Assist, uh, where, is the, where is the nearest train station? And it'll drop that information in for both of you. Benefit. Yeah, so, and there's like um, some of the examples they have is like a conversation between two people where somebody suggests, let's have Italian tonight. And then one of the predefined options you can put in rather than typing your own message is at Google Assistant, show me nearby Italian restaurants. Mm. And then it will pop up a bunch of stuff and then you can kind of straight from the app go and browse stuff. Or you can bring up YouTube videos about making sushi is the other one they yeah. they demonstrate. <laughs> Do you think people ever actually do this stuff? Like, I don't ask know. auto assistance questions. Yeah, the, the the example is always like, hey, when's the next flight to Dubai? Like, if you're on your way to the airport because you're going to Dubai, you've probably got it printed it could be out useful, in triplicate though, for like... in wallets. You've got it in your bum bag. You, you're going to know when the flight to Dubai is and no one's just going to get on a plane spur of the moment. You have to go get your passport for starters sometimes though, there's big group chats where people will like ask stupid questions and maybe rather than just going like here let me google this for you you can like mm. there you go i've asked the auto assistant for you or yeah. maybe people ask it themselves more often could be it relies on everything being integrated and my my view is that i just kind of assume that not everything is going to be hooked up to the internet and if it is hooked up to the internet it's more likely to be hooked up in the u.s than it is in the uk mm. so like their their example of going to the italian restaurant involves them like picking a restaurant and then asking google assistant to book them a table for two at 7 p.m which it does all from within the app and 
if that's something that happens, that's amazing and that's pretty cool that mm. you don't have to kind of go find a website or a phone number and phone somebody up to book a table. You can just do it there. But how many restaurants do you think, especially in the UK, have that integration at the moment? I mean, a lot, awful lot of West of um, eateries, restaurants are on Just Eat. Yeah. So I suppose if Just Eat introduced some sort of book your place from within the app functionality, that's, then that's I guess... That's more they... of a takeaway though, isn't it? Yeah. Although it's definitely places I've been where... Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but you think be almost every thing. takeaway is on Just Eat, pretty much. Mm. Even if they don't fully support it, like sometimes we order a curry through Just Eat and we can like pre-book it, but then they'll turn up like an hour and a half late, just like, oh yeah, we started cooking it at like, you know, six, even though you pre-booked it at 12 and we open at half four. Mm. We were talking about this yesterday. We ordered a curry and it's like the curry house we order from. We always say, well, order in good time because it's going to take a good hour and a half to get here. Mm. But we just know that the one day when we decide to have a snack, you know, because Beforehand. we know it's going to be so long, mm. they'll turn up 10 seconds later. Yeah, yeah, we did that. The one day where when it was like, oh, yeah, I've ordered it. Like, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll leave work in, in like an hour or so. Mm -hmm. Like 10 minutes later, she's like, oh, it's actually turned up uh, on time today. That's why everything should be GPS tracked. So I can <laughs> see where it is exactly what I need to know. Ask, yeah. ask Google Assistant where your curry order is. Yeah, where's my curry order? Now, the other thing is uh, SMS. So it seems like the internet is not happy with uh, Allo, mostly because it doesn't integrate properly with SMS. So the problem is, you know, you're on Android. Uh, we're on iPhone. Oh, look at that. Three to one, you're outnumbered. <laughs> um, you know because there's no common standard between them apart from something like facebook messenger which in fairness gets the job done mm -hmm. it's on mobile and desktop so oh, well, it's skype be... for business it's on android as well isn't it uh yeah there's skype mm, yeah i don't know why but skype's just not sort of cottoned on the same way i think it's probably something to do with identity i think it feels more like a phone call mm. or a video call program than it does a messenger there's an uh, there's a uh, an XKCD comic, which is like a, the situation. We have fourteen different standards, and then the middle pane is is a guy saying, "Right, we need to think of a way that we can tie all of this together so you have all of your services in one pe one place." And the last panel is situation. There are fifteen standards. Yeah, <laughs> so that's kind of the way it goes. And I, if someone could come along and do that properly, that'd be nice. But at the moment, it's kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, but, but SMS, because I guess maybe because data charges are such in the US that people would rather do everything over SMS. This app doesn't tie in that cleanly. Like what I could do is if I was on Google Allo, I could send you a message, Connor or David, and uh, it could it'd send you a text and it would start the text by saying, this was sent from Google Allo, you can download here. But then if you just reply to that message, it'll continue the conversation just as a normal text thread. But it'll do it through uh, a Google Server. SMS relay. Mm, yeah, okay. so it's not sending it directly to and from your your phone number. Mm. It's going through this intermediary system. So yeah, it's not it's not a brilliant solution. But uh, yeah, that's that's Google Allo. Mm. Anyway, coming well, we'll be using it. Well, it should already be here. I don't know where it is. <laughs> not in our territory. <laughs> yeah, it's probably somewhere you could log into the App Store as an American account. But I'm I'm already. Yeah, not massively fussed about it. It's just interesting that they, when they've got Google Hangouts, they bring something else out and 
I know Google catch a lot of flack for releasing all these things and then dropping support so many months later. So yeah, I just I don't think for some reason they just don't seem to have the push that Apple does mm. for it's things like Apple Pay, for instance. You can pay with Apple Pay all over the place. Mm-hmm. Lots of lots and lots of Android phones had support for Google Wallet and mm. kind of near field near field communication payments and stuff like that. You could do that. It's just nobody supported it until Apple came along and and made a big deal out of it. Yeah. And Google just don't seem to push these things. No, you really need to hammer it home. Mm. You need to have courage, I think, is what we've learned <laughs> over the past week or so. Um, okay, right. Onwards. Uh, so this uh, this next one, uh, which I think was the last point on your sheets, was this, this article that we found on... Um, schneer.com i hope i'm pronouncing that right it's a fella called um bruce schneer who's a chief technology officer at resilient that's an arm of ibm and he's also a board member for the eff which is the um electronic frontiers foundation which do you have any knowledge of that david yeah it's like they do a lot of campaigning for kind of consumer rights and just kind of fighting against a lot of the sort of bills that get proposed in various parliaments and, and yeah, things fighting against the man yeah the system trying to keep the, the the internet a nice you know internet an open was. place yeah an open place which uh, is, is proving the more that we become reliant on the internet in our day-to-day is becoming more uh, more of a hot potato <laughs> but uh, this article was from uh, earlier in september um, and the title of the article is Someone is Learning How to Take Down the Internet, which is pretty sensationalist, uh, but it's basically about how Bruce has been speaking to a few people recently and noticing an increasing trend of these increasingly big, uh, for lack of a better word, attacks sophisticated against or... sophisticated, uh, yeah, just, just brute force as well, um, attacks against quite critical pieces of uh, network infrastructure uh, in the US, I think, although I don't think he says explicitly. He um, um, So he mentions that he's, I think, been brought on as a consultant for a bunch of companies, so he, who he, he can, can't, will rema- he can't name nameless. them, yeah. but uh, and he can't shed kind of personal details, but he's saying a lot of these big companies that have have kind of a stake in the internet as a whole and keeping it up mm-hmm. and running... Um, are experiencing the same kind of attacks. Mm, yeah. And uh, he says it seems to be kind of... It's not the way that your typical cyber criminal will go around testing. It seems to be sort of testing limits in various stages, just trying to assess the level of these of these different infrastructures. And he goes on to say, this looks like it's so big that it could be, you know, state-sanctioned... Mm. Uh, cyber attacks so it could be coming from china or russia or anywhere else but uh it it's quite a short article but it does lead into i think some quite interesting discussion and and adam uh, mentioned uh, an episode of the uh, reply all podcast that dealt with with this in a sense recently kind of asking yeah, how fragile is the internet would it be possible to break the internet oh what do you think then mm, well Having read a bit about it, I think there's definitely ways that you can do damage to it. So, um, for instance, one of the companies that he mentions uh, is Verizon. 
So Verisign are a big player in the internet business. They're um, a they're a registrar. Registrar. So um, for top level internet domains like .com and .net and so on. So if they were to go down, then anything that ends .com or .net could also go down. Yeah. So it's. it's you have to think about uh, basically thinking about DNS. It's like a big phone book. Mm. So if I want to speak to you on the phone, Connor, I look for Connor in the phone book, and it translates. It looks in the database and converts translates that to my your, name your, to my your, number, your phone number. Yeah, and it's a similar thing here. I want to go to Google.com, um, and it, it finds out what number is associated with Google.com, and off it mm. goes. And that's just the way that we've sort of established all of our communication over the internet. And what they're saying here is you have these these central hubs where your computer will go to to get that information and keep it updated. And what would happen if one of these hubs came under attack and essentially the the phone book burst into flames? And uh, And the result is you wouldn't get a lot done. Really? I mean, none of us are going to go and find Google's IP address and go directly to it that way. Well, maybe some of us will. Well, but we all know it, though. The point is, a lot <laughs> an, a lot of communication would be... Yeah, there'd be trouble. There would be some immediate fallout, wouldn't there? Yeah, so it's not so much... With the title of the article, though, there'd be other ways to break the internet, really, don't you think? Because there's more to like the infrastructure than just like name servers and stuff. There's like all the switching, there's the physical cable... Oh, yeah. There's I mean, um, potentially, what do you think about, say, forcing internet cables to use too much voltage because I overheat them? Mm, maybe not, or like, like send sort of damage between them. Some sort of physical overload. Yeah, like similar. I did a quick little read on the Stuxnets sort of mm. before because that is like a physical attack. So could there be something similar where it would like say, oh, let's overclock the uh, little processors in switches and get them all to burn out or other ways to physically damage it? Do vaguely recall reading something, an article about there was a reactor somewhere where they over, you know, sent, hacked in, sent commands to overclock the... Yeah, the centrifuge and yeah. Uh, make it spin faster, but get it to report back that it, it was, was everything's was totally fine, yeah. Like, do you think, in some ways, something similar to that, but targeting network infrastructure could wipe the internet out? Or do you think it could already be out there? Planted, ready, laying dormant, waiting for the switch <laughs> to be flicked. The, the, the kill switch. I don't know. I don't know enough about, about uh, sort of switching hardware to say. I mean... Switching hardware, of course, the way that the internet works is all it's all kind of electrical impulses, uh, a bit like the human brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of redundancy built in, mm. um, and when we're talking about, you know, a, when we're saying um, like having a phone book of addresses and converting them to IPs, there's not just one phone book there. There's not just one server that's responding to all of that. It's uh, it's multiple data centers in multiple countries, um, all with the you know multiple servers in them. They're responding to those attacks. The problem here is that 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 kind of distributes you, and um, if you've got kind of like a localized attack, like a fire in the data center or power cut or something like that, then you should be fine. But the kind of attacks that we're talking about here are 
DDoS attacks, which is distributed denial of service. Um, the idea with that is that you basically infect a whole bunch of computers, and we're talking millions and millions of home computers um, that have got viruses on, which are then controlled by uh, criminals and pointed directly at one of these places and then just fire a bunch of commands at it, uh, request a load of information and drown out legitimate traffic with the volume. Mm. And so kind of the scale of the attack here is the worrying thing. When we're talking either criminals who've got access to huge, huge botnets of these computers that, that they've taken over, or if you're talking about countries that have kind of the funding to build a whole bunch of computers and then fire commands at people um then there's questions about whether or not the infrastructure can stand up to that Mm. and and the worrying part of this for me is that um the way he describes the attacks is that they start off kind of slow and they slowly ramp up kind of Mm. the number of requests Mm. to a certain point and then stop and then a few days later they will continue the attacks but at the point they reached previously and continue ramping them up so what they seem to be doing is trying to find what is the limit what is the Mm. absolute number of requests that these services can handle before they stop working so what would we have to do if we wanted to take this down yeah Yeah. as opposed to like let's take it down they're finding out that's where's the limit. limit yeah yeah so like like kind of implying that they have say maybe even 10 times more than the limit but there's no need to throw that at it because they know that it will fall over with the 10th yeah like if we if we fire half of our of our botnet at this mm. then it starts to struggle so if we ever want to take it down we'll just fire the whole lot at it that kind of but what if the what if the 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 attacky the victim uh is is also playing coy well, the problem is, um, and this is where I don't understand or know the details, um, but the way Bruce describes it in his article is he's saying that they're firing multiple different types of DDoS attacks simultaneously, which means that essentially they have to defend with the full power of their defense. So they can't reserve anything. They can't hold stuff back. They are having to respond just with the full power that they have to respond with. And if they were bluffing, they'd be falling over as well, wouldn't they? Yeah, but would that be worth it, kind of, you know, to keep... Yeah, fall over today so that it's just a stumble tomorrow. Yeah, so like... Well, how how do you know today is a test and is not the real thing? Ah, yeah, good point. I'm just thinking, in my head, it reminds me of that bit in the uh, the imitation game. You know, they they kind of spoil us, by the way, although I suppose it is history. Um, so they they you know, they crack the Enigma code and then they're like, brilliant, great, we can prevent all of these attacks, but they don't because they mm-hmm. don't want to let on that they know how to crack the Enigma code. So it's kind of that, you know, taking the taking. That's interesting taking how you reference the movie as opposed to like a huge point in computing history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I know how the movie went. I'll admit I've never been to Bletchley Park or really, yeah, really looks seriously into that stuff. So the movie might have been taking some. 
liberties some, uh, some liberties which i understand it kind of mm. was i think that one was true historical the movie definitely took some liberties with the facts but yeah yeah they did they did crack the code and they did learn about an impending kind attack. of attack on a fleet and they didn't about do anything about it coventry as well i believe before it happened and decided to let coventry get bombed oh, yeah really? so go to pick your battles mm. Mm. Oh. So maybe you're right, Joe. Maybe this is a complete like you know. Oh, we'll just have half of the uh, the firewall up this week. Yeah, the way we're it's... at half firewall today. Yeah, the way it's spun in this article uh, implies that they can't do that. Mm. But I'd be lying if I said I understood the reasons behind that argument. I've heard, well, I've read rumors. I don't know if any of this is true, but like you know, the the Department of Defense would have like. Deep sea charges sat on the fiber running underneath the ocean so that they can blow it if there was a real a, a real bad attack. I'm sure. I, it doesn't sound like you. I'm not sure that would be the the best solution. It could be difficult. That would be, to... be American solution though, wouldn't it? The other thing is, uh, I mean, you don't even need that. Could just... Couldn't we have a switch instead? Maybe. Uh, so uh, in um, Somalia, on the just uh, just south of Somalia, I read this on itworld.com, that apparently dragging anchors on on ships, uh, sort of trawlers, things like that, have quite frequently before uh, destroyed the East African marine system's high-capacity fiber-optic cable. Mm. So, there was, I'm sure, I don't remember any details about this now, but I'm sure there was like an old lady in some country that dug up her garden and took out the internet connection for the entire co- or most of the country because she severed a cable that was running through her property yeah and sometimes it's going to come down to one person um so undersea cable uh, according to an article that i read uh, has about a, a lifespan of about 25 years when it goes live mm. so that needs to be replaced every now and then and when it comes down to it, there's going to be one person somewhere that's got to unplug it and plug the new one in. There's going to be a point of failure. <laughs> You'd have to have multiple points, though, because isn't like the entire design of TCP/IP that you'd have to, if you bomb like say a certain cable, it will just reroute immediately, pretty much. Well, yeah. So I mean, you'd it's... have to like cut the entire like circumference of Britain round if you wanted to do it, but then you've still got satellites. So yeah, there's routing protocols and costing and. All those things we love as IT people that uh, be in place, but yeah, well, like, how fast can it reroute? Mm. And uh, and you never really know until a cable's broken whether your your costing is working <laughs> as it oh, should. Whether when you're undersea, a cable gets cut. Yeah, can, can we uh, just talk briefly about the the podcast? So this is so the reply all we're talking about here. Um, the episode. What was it? It was about, um, I can't remember when it happened, but it was fairly recently, wasn't it? Uh, Basically, well, how long has Kick been around? <laughs> I'm trying to think. When did Kick come into... Come Basically, into what happened was um, on a particular day, a whole whole bunch of websites, one of the key parts of them suddenly stopped working. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that... Kind of summarizing here, and there's more information in the uh, in the reply all episode, but they all relied on some open source software which was hosted on an open source library um, up on the internet, and they just kind of put a reference into that piece of software. So I I can't remember what it was. It's something like center center aligning text Le- or something. Left 
left pad. Left it, pad, yeah. yeah. Which basically right aligns text by, I guess, buffering the left with indents or yeah. spaces. So something that's a very, very simple bit of programming code but because programmers don't want to reinvent the wheel every single time they write a new website or anything like that they um they basically find people who've already done it and then they just reference that code in their own code so leftpad is sat on an open source repository um all these websites are linking to it and then the guy who made leftpad decided that he didn't want it on open source anymore and he took it away and then suddenly all these websites broke all around the internet just yeah. basically because of one guy deleting some code yeah he had about 200 or so packages so pieces of code that he'd written and one of them happened to be called kick and then you've got this big company called kick that's sort of a messaging uh applications mm. um, another application one service yeah another one oh and uh, they came along and said, well, we've got a repository or a package called Kick, and we'd quite like to put that on there, but we want to call ours Kick. And uh, they communicated with this guy a bit, and there was a bit of bad blood. I don't think the guy was keen on on changing his 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 package. So they went over his head and went directly to the, the open source software libraries people and said, hey, c- can we have Kick instead of this guy? We're a Which, multi-million dollar yeah. company. We... You know, we have these many employees and this is one guy with a small package. It's not really used by anyone. Yeah. And so they said, yeah, sure you can. And basically, I don't know if they renamed the guy's package or got rid of it. But as a result, he pulled all of his packages, of which one was this left pad mm-hmm. and left a load of websites uh, up the creek for a, a while. Mm-hmm. I think it was a couple of hours, two or three mm. hours, which in internet terms is quite a long time when all of your pages stop working. But it was interesting talking again about open source and the uh, e- EEF, was it? I think that could be another way. The EFF, sorry, yeah. Mm. Um, that a company can come in and say, hey, we're a big company and we want to call our thing this three-letter word instead of that other guy that calls his thing that three-letter word. Can you make this happen? It does kind of go against, and that's this is something they discussed that it goes very much against the the spirit of open source. Mm. I think that's another way though that the internet could be taken down if like loads of things are relying on open source mm. tech. Could they like buy out almost the internet by saying, "Hey, just like give us give us the keys. <laughs> uh, us you this, take all this all money, out. and uh, we'll just not tell anyone for a while." I mean, something like Verizon going back to the top level domains .com and .net. It is kind of scary that. You've got a centralized point like that. Like, why have Verizon got exclusive rights to that? And maybe they haven't, but the article makes it sound like they're a definite pillar of this. You know, yeah, I mean, share you, that round. Share it round. You've got a you've got a mix, haven't you? Because on one hand, you don't want a centralized place because then if that goes down, then you lose everything that it relies on. Mm. But on the other hand, you kind of need one one company to sign off on everything. Because if you know, I go and register unravelingtechnology.com mm. and you go and register unravelingtechnology.com with somebody else mm. then how do we know which one of our websites we're going to hit when we yeah. go there yeah you'd have to have them talking and that's why when you create uh, a website or you buy a domain they do say allow up to 24 hours because it needs to propagate around the internet uh, usually these days it's a lot quicker than that maybe an hour probably less um so yeah but it Talking about the, the, the kick package, then you've also got dom- like domain squatting. So someone that will buy xbox.com 
and then Xbox and Microsoft will come along and say, hey, we want Xbox.com. And they'll say, well, I got here first. Mm -hmm. Give me money. Yeah, there are some interesting precedents. Uh, I was listening to um, the Giant Bombcast and they were talking about one who was some website. It's like how B&Q is not bnq.com it's diy.com because yeah. someone else has bnq.com uh, and all things like that and yeah interesting interesting stuff but talking about websites and dns uh next story is about uh, north korea which uh, this week there was an article that went up on github which a fellow who'd managed to i think someone someone had pressed the wrong button somewhere in the uh the North Korea centre centre of internet communications or whatever they have there, and for a while one of their name servers, which is what we're talking about when we talk about the phone book in a way, one of their name servers uh, started broadcasting or accepting it, it requests, responded, responded basically. Yeah, to requests for hey, what mm. are your domains? And uh, twenty eight domains were were, were revealed. Only 28. Um, only 28 domains as part of the top-level North Korean internet website index, uh, which uh, just... So when we talk about domains, we're talking about google.com, bbc.co.uk, you know, these kind of domains. So if you imagine that, the, 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 <laughs> the country only having... And I'm sure there's probably a lot more websites than that. Uh, some, some are inaccessible. Uh, it, there was a big list you could get online that shows you all of them. Um, websites like friend.com.kp, cooks.org.kp. Yeah, yeah, cooks, which is a, I think it's what it sounds like. It's it's some sort of culinary website, recipe website, or friend.com.kp. Kim Jong's favorite is, food. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a website called um, rodong.rep.kp, which is sort of a news site, and it's got got a heading. Uh, but a bit stickied at the top, which is a uh, supreme leader's activities, and it's got a list of all the things that he's been doing recently. Oh, so you can have a live feed almost. Uh, yeah. See what like you can the supreme visits, leader is up to. Yeah, visiting a farm to a uh, photo sesh with contributors for their successful nuclear nuclear warhead test and things like that. It's it's really bizarre. The one thing I read was uh, one of the comments on the article I was looking at said, to put this in perspective. Grand Theft Auto 5, which has like a fake sort of internet mm. system in it, has 83 websites. <laughs> so if you consider that North Korea, a real place, only has 28, mm. that's quite interesting. If we roll back slightly to like taking down the internet, mm. like North Korea's entire infrastructure was knocked down for a, a couple of days, a couple of years ago, so... Was it? Yeah, like um, at the same time. Is this or, in response to the Sony hack? Or? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So there was all the controversy. Or, because, well, uh, not confirmed, but the the timing does kind of seem suspiciously close. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of wonder where they kind of get this knowledge and information. I suppose you have people that are sort of educated outside of outside of North Korea and then go back with that knowledge and say, hey, this is how you set up an internet mm. infrastructure and all that stuff. You bring loads of, well, can you get like satellite phones maybe? How would, how would they get like external access though to uh, the rest of the web? Uh, I'm sure that some people within North Korea have access to the wider internet. Yeah, I think I probably read just go on YouTube. Isn't it just and watch very, very few people though? 
as like you know military officials and people I who I, I saw don't think actually got, know how to use a computer. I think they've got about a thousand public addresses allocated or a thousand public addresses in use, mm. um, okay. which isn't necessarily you know a thousand people on the internet. Multiple people can share an IP address, and that one into that one IP address could be for a whole university or. Or something, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. I had a, tried to have a look at a couple of the sites, and they do load very slowly. So I'm not sure how it is. I don't know if they have an undersea like a mm. submarine fiber link yet. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see. It could also be that they're just being viewed by so many people now that they're yeah, made right available. now. And worth noting that a lot of these are in English, so I think they are meant to be outside facing websites. Mm. It's definitely some propagandary websites in there um, uh, so that's that's north korean news but yeah the sony hack a couple of years ago that was in response to what was it called the, the movie interview? yeah the interview. the interview which was the um seth rogan james franco film about north korea and uh they did that actually end up getting stopped well i think they i think they halted the cinematic release of it mm. Because they were worried about terrorist attacks, potentially. Well, North Korea was threatening to take serious action, weren't they? Yeah, but that's that's well, a Monday they in North Korea, that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I think in the end they just released it on Google Play and and YouTube, just put it out there, which is mm. which is a way to go. But yeah, there was an attack and they took responsibility for it. I don't know if that's if they, if that was the case or not. Mm. It'd be yeah, quite difficult for them to do that, though, don't you think? Because it's going to have well, very limited people who know how to use cyber tools. Well, this is what I'm thinking. And the sort of people that would maybe go to get educated externally, because like, uh, I think Kim Jong Kim Jong un himself was educated you, in, in Sweden. Sweden, yeah. 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 Uh, you've got to imagine that once you've been in Sweden for a while, the prospect of going back to North Korea must be a bit... Eek. Yeah. Well, who knows? But um, yeah, it's just an interesting bit of news there. Uh, okay, well, we'll really quickly ch touch on this other one then. So this is the one about pre uh, HP printers that are being pre-programmed to fail if you use unofficial ink. So all been here, right? Not um, surprised. Yeah. Not cost surprised. of uh, I've seen multiple graphs saying that printer ink is like, the most expensive resource on the mm. on the planet <laughs> if you've taken. Well, previously, I've chatted with a financial director of a company who was just like, it's still more financially viable to buy these dodgy inks, even though I know the printer's only going to last six months, just because the printer ink is so expensive for the official ones. So we'd like have his printer, it would break every six months or so because they were using dodgy ink. They would mm. take it apart, give it a bit of a clean, charge him for a day's labour. Mm. And they'd be like, yeah, no worries, cool. We'll keep using the dodgy ink, though, even though you say you don't. Well, some people just buy a new printer don't they? Mm. Rather than go and buy new ink because it's just, see, you usually get ink bundled in with a printer, so that might be the way to go. Mm. But yeah, the story is, as it stands, that a lot of people on the 13th of September suddenly realised that their printers were throwing out an error, saying there's an error you need to mm. replace the, your ink. The following yeah. ink cartridges appear to be missing or damaged. Replace the ink cartridges to resume printing. Mm. And uh, there was people took to the forums where they kind of figured out that if you roll back the firmware, then... then Quite a long way, though. Um, mm. Back to 2014. Right. I guess when they had their, their, their big idea about 
about locking mm. out all these. I wonder why they went for the 13th of September 2016. There's, yeah. So I, let, let's just taking a step back, mm. they, um, a, a bunch of people complained to the print cartridge manufacturer and they kind of did their own research and kind of emailed all of their customers and said, is anybody seeing this error message? And a whole bunch of people replied that yes, they were. So um, yeah, the theory was that there was some kind of firmware update from HP that had come out that suddenly stopped these third-party ink cartridges working. But a load of people had either not updated their firmware for a while or they had never updated their firmware in their printer. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that yes, like back in 2014, HP pre-programmed in into their firmware and into the firmware that's on a lot of printers they then shipped um, this date of the 13th of September 2016 after which point ink cartridges that are not HP print cartridges and don't have the chip in that identify them as an HP print cartridge just won't work and the printer will refuse to acknowledge they're plugged in yeah it's Kind of already a bit of an uphill battle, isn't it, with third-party cartridges? Mm. I mean, f- yeah, the price of them is great, but then there's a lot of things about the quality of them. You know, will Leaking. they clog up the jets? Mm. Will they leak? Um, but also, if you if you put, so thinking about Dell toners here and toner printers rather than ink jets, and I think this is is this a problem that's exclusively an in- ink jet issue? Um, I believe so, from what I've read. I don't think I've seen any toner mentioned, but yeah, the uh, a lot of them will, will scream and shout when you put an unofficial toner and say, oh, well, we don't know how much toner's left in there, which, fair enough, there's probably something on the chip that does communicate mm-hmm. that. But yeah, it's, it's something that these companies, because I imagine they would make most of their money on the on the ink. So, Do you think any of the unofficial like HP toner producers might manufacture their own firmware to get around this little i don't think they can do their own firmware but there is definitely talk of we've got a new chip it's it's coming very soon and it will totally work around this issue yeah. so they're yeah. gonna <laughs> remanufacture their uh their ink cartridges in fact you may from what i was reading you may be able to buy the chips and then just kind of Stick slide the old one off your mm. print cartridge and put a new one on and then it'll all work <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is, um, in case anybody's wondering, absolutely a deliberate um, thing from HP. And they've released a statement to the effect that, yes, we pre-programmed this in. Don't use unofficial HP ink cartridges. <laughs> no, we're not going to be releasing a firmware update that turns this back off again. Oh, right. Okay. So they, they haven't played it off as a mistake after they've seen the backlash or anything. No, it's... Uh, they said they did it to protect their intellectual property innovation and to protect the communication between the cartridge and the printer. Oh, is that innovation? Always innovating, HP. Um, they, I, one of the reasons this is kind of interesting, I think, is that it raises the question, what can you do with your product? You know, what are you allowed to... You know, how, how much should these things be supported? Have you heard about the Microsoft Signature Edition PCs and Linux? Uh, no. Signature edition. So if you go on the Microsoft website, they'll often sell you PCs, uh, which have been uh, third-party hardware. So Lenovo, um, I'm sure there are others, but Lenovo's the one sort of pertinent to this story. Mm-hmm. They'll say, this is Windows Signature Edition laptop. Oh, it was a Spectra one for like Windows 8? Uh, I, 
don't know. This, there was probably one. Yeah, I don't ever check to be honest, because most people will buy from a third party who install mm-hmm. Windows 10 on as as OEM uh, from the manufacturer. But uh, people have been finding out that these signature edition PCs, they've gone to install Linux on them, and because of the way that these program these com- laptops have been configured, they use a special type of RAID controller. So special type of interface between the the, the hard, the hard drive, drive and, and the, the operating system mm-hmm. that Linux isn't able to understand. So a lot of people who wanted to install Linux couldn't. Mm. And someone went to uh, to Lenovo about this and said, hey, is there any chance we can get a firmware update here? And uh, uh, just to take this from an article from omgubuntu.co.uk, they said, one buyer raised the issue on the Lenovo product forums only to be told by a Lenovo product expert that the devices are locked as per our agreement with Microsoft. Oh, wow. There you go. Laptops that you can't install Linux on. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it just so happens to come sort of the same time as this HP uh, news. So You could get around that, do you think, using like a USB 3.0, similar data transfer rates to... Or plugging in an ex- external drive in place. Yeah, or even one. you can get them they're so small that it would barely stick out. Sure, there's probably, yeah, dodgy workarounds, but it mm. says... Uh, yeah, a not scary, easily. A scary mm-hmm. precedent. And this is something that I know Macs have been doing for, for a while, sort yeah. of fusing components to the board so you can't upgrade or change. But even a Mac, you can dual boot Linux if you wanted to. So another maybe another another misstep by... I'm not sure if this is more a misstep for Microsoft or for, for Lenovo, but doesn't paint either of them in a particularly... Mm. You've got to think the average user doesn't even know what Linux is. No. So... True, but uh, it's an operating it's, system it's a, like Microsoft. If you're the average user, <laughs> yeah, there you go. It does internet and word processing and everything you love, just uh, like Windows, yeah, but free. But, but free, yeah. Again, open source, sticking it to the man. Mm. Right before we leave, I'm going to give you the Kickstarter of the week. So this is a thing we do, Connor. Okay. I found a Kickstarter online, and uh, the the one that I've got uh, this week is called Altered Nozzle. Adam, have you heard this one this week? Yeah. No? Oh, great. You, you can play the game this week then. <laughs> Altered Nozzle. Now, it's uh, it's from a, it's a Swede, Swedish uh, manufactured device. Um, it's had 5,000 backers. And uh, of its 250,000 Corona goal, it's raised 3.3 million Corona. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the exchange rate there is, but it's exceeded its goal mm. by some measure. And there's 13 days left. So any of you want to hazard a guess at what the altered nozzle is? Hmm. No. Is it anything to do with the iPhone 7? No. No. Okay. I can see where you're kind of coming from. Mm. David? Um, is it anything to do with 3D printing? No. no. I like where you're coming from. No, it's simpler than that. It's uh, It's an attachment for a tap. Yeah, there's a picture of it. As ever, we will put one. On oh the, yeah, I've, I've seen you seen that, this? Yeah. yeah, David, there you go. Oh okay. Picture of it. So taken from the website, they say that uh, it's it's a little attachment that you put into the the spout on your mm-hmm. tap. You unscrew, attach this, on it goes, and it's got two settings on it. So from their Kickstarter, it says same tap, ninety eight percent less water. The altered nozzle is the world's most extreme water saving nozzle. 
Weird wording. It instills easily into your existing tap. By atomizing water, we use 80, uh, 98% less water and still retain full functionality. And if you need to, then you can switch to a more regular saving mode. So mm. and the picture it shows uh, you turn the water on and rather than getting a stream of water as you traditionally do, you get more of a mist. Mm. So this is a function in there that mists up the water and delivers it, uh, I guess, 98% slower. Um, but, uh, but in such a way that it more of it reaches you rather than go sort of spilling off your hand and, and going yeah, down the Yeah, it will be the, the most increase of pressure as well, do you think? Or do you think it's just about its dispersal? I'm not sure. I would imagine it's... you would have to turn the tap on less. Mm. Well, I think you could... Because most... I don't know about most people, but I know I've been guilty of this in the past. You turn on the tap, stick your toothbrush underneath, clean your teeth, sometimes without turning the, the, the tap off. And it's then, terrible, Joe. I can't well, no, I, said, you do I, that. I honestly, I'm a lot better at this now. But definitely in my youth, I've seen other people do it. Um, and if you think about how much water goes down the drain when you do that, compared to this mystifier mm. that that saves you ninety eight percent, even the the other mode, so the 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 water saving mode, which is this bottom picture and looks a lot more like a traditional nozzle, mm. even that one there is saving you seventy five percent water. Mm. I know we don't lack for water around here. But... Is there an off mode as well? If you are just wanting lots of water to say fill a drink uh, up, so that could be pretty annoying if you've suddenly got to wait four times as long. Well, apparently it doesn't take long with the uh, with the saver seventy five percent nozzle mm. on to fill, say, a glass of something. But if you wanted to fill a bucket, I don't know. I think I don't think there's the facility to do that. I think you'd have to take it out. Mm. Uh, but it doesn't take long. It takes like thirty seconds to put in. And it costs uh, the equivalent of around $45. And okay. uh, they say that in a couple of months, you'll have made that money back in saved water. I find that difficult to believe. I think most water will get used not by your kitchen tap or your like bathroom tap, but by like having a bath and a shower. Oh, man. Mm. Imagine trying to fill a bath up with that. Mm. <laughs> It'll be cold by the time it was done. <laughs> yeah. A misty bath. Or a misty shower. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's kicks out. I did find another one as well that I thought was quite good called Zai, which is like, it's like an eight-sided device and it's a timekeeping device. And the way it works is you draw on it, on each side of it, you draw a picture of something that you want to remember. So you might do a picture of, uh, uh, I don't know, one side that says work or another side that says um, editing another side that says eating lunch and when you whenever you alter the orientation of it so when you put it on a new side then it starts a timer starts counting down and bluetoothing to an app or to your desktop and it's meant to be a timekeeping device so you can say okay all the time i was doing this i had my cube up at this side so it's recording the time so i was thinking for us you know when you when, when you're working on a ticket trying mm. to solve an issue and you're trying to time keep or if you if you you were looking at something else, you could just turn the little device over and it'll it'll remember where you yeah, were. And slightly can... easier than the stop and start function that we currently have. <laughs> there you go. Maybe you should get one of these size. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I wonder if we could get a uh, Autotask integrated app. Potentially, yeah. we'll have a look. We'll have to speak to the people at Zai about it. Anywho, there you go. There's my Kickstarters of the week, and with that is the. Oh, do we want to do the email? I think we are running long. 
again. So we, we are. probably we did get an email this week, but we will address it next That's week. That's like two weeks in a row. It's because we got the email this morning or yesterday or something. We've been saving them all up. Yesterday late. Yeah. Okay. Well, very sorry to do this to you, dear listener, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put it on, on hiatus and we'll have a look at it next week. After we'd have had some time to mull it over. Uh, but it's uh, it's another good one. But Any, if you want to email us, if you'd like to email us, though, you know, just uh, so we can put off reading your email, <laughs> send us an email to podcast at unravelingtechnology.co.uk or, uh, or just hit us up on Twitter at unravelingtech or you can visit our blog at unravelingtechnology and, and uh, leave us a review on iTunes or any, any other review medium uh, if, if you could. That would be. That'd be very kind of you. But from me, Joe, David, and I guess this week, Connor, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye. See ya.